All right, here we go. First Timothy. Can everybody go back? Is that kind of knee-jerk? The whole grinding of the gears. First Timothy is all about us being the building blocks of truth. And so today we're going to get into this next set of building blocks that Paul's going to share with Timothy. It's about leaders. Turn to someone next to you and share with that person next to you the number one influencer of your life, the number one mentor or leader that made you who you are today. Who would that person be? Go. Share that with someone next to you. Don't stare blankly at me. Okay, how many people said a teacher? Anybody say a teacher? Someone that they learned? Not, teachers, don't be discouraged. You're still great. Anybody, anybody say a parent? Yeah, I, I, I would say that in my life. Coaches, anybody had a coach? Anybody had a coworker or a mentor? Someone, you know, that, at work that helped you get to where you are today? Anybody had a fellow Christian, just someone who was uh, instrumental in your life as a, as a fellow Christian to help you? Okay. We've all had leaders in our lives. It's just part of life. In fact, leader, life is built on leadership. Leaders are necessary for things to work and move. And today we're going to talk about being follow-worthy. It's kind of a phrase that's come up in the modern age and usually deals with podcasts and blogs and the Twitter sphere and Instagram. Uh, if someone is going to be a interest to you, maybe one of your friends would say, you know, that person's follow-worthy. They're, they're, worth, they're worth a follow. And uh, this is a, a new phrase maybe in our vernacular, but it's been something that uh, God has been pumping into humanity uh, from the very beginning. There's, there's certain people that are worth a follow, and there's certain people that are not. And there are certain characteristics that go into someone being a qualified or a good leader. Today we're going to talk about uh, the leaders that Paul wants to see involved in the church there in Ephesus and the ways that he wants them to uh, build their lives so that they're followers. And we want to talk about that in our church. We want to talk about that in our homes. We want to be follow-worthy leaders, whatever God has given us to lead. Uh, we, we know that leadership, we could say all kinds of things. I'm going to try to pack it all into 30 minutes here. Don't start your timers. But uh, uh, one of the chief things that I, is not in the text that we're teaching today, but it's something we've got to get into if we're going to talk about leadership from the Bible. It's the fact that leadership in, the, in God's mind is not like leadership in the world's thinking. Uh, Jesus was actually talking with his disciples in Mark chapter 10, and his disciples were all arguing about where they were in the pecking order with Jesus. You know, am I, am I first in command after Jesus? Am I, you know, vice president, secretary of state, whatever. They were having their arguments about where they were going to sit and how they were ranking in Jesus' uh, leadership scheme. And he calls them to him, all of his followers, and he says to them, listen, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, those rulers in the world, uh, they lord it over those that follow them. Uh, world leadership is, is a lot about power. It's a lot about prestige. It's a lot about being, uh, you know, the, the say-so. But Christian leadership, godly leadership, it doesn't have those things as its main focus. He says those, those great ones exercise authority over their followers. He says, but it shall not be so among you. You guys, you, you got it kind of backwards. I, I'm here to rule an upside-down kingdom, Stranger Things. And that's uh, a TV show. It doesn't matter. Anyway, um, <laughs> but that, he's, he's like, I'm here to reverse the ways that things have been done. And, and one of the chief ways I want to reverse things is in the idea of leadership. He says, it should not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be what? Your servant. Whoever's going to be first will be a slave of all. They'll be last. He says, let me give you an example. For even I, the son of man, 
I did not come here to be served. Now, he could have demanded that. Does anybody agree with me? I mean, Jesus is king of kings, lord of lords. He could have come in here and just, you know, deposed all the governments and just said, and in fact, just so we're clear, eventually that's what's going to happen. Our future holds the reign, the earthly reign of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings, lord of lords already, but not yet. He will come one day, and everything will be under his rule in a more literal and tangible sense. Is everybody with me on that? Read Revelation. That's where we're headed. But when he came the first time, he didn't come to set up his earthly kingdom. He came to serve those who inhabited the earth. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So, so leadership in a, in, a, in a spiritual sense or in a godly sense is, is, is coming last uh, behind everybody else. Who, that you're I'm, I'm here as your leader to serve you. That's my first priority. Not to park in the parking spots closest to the building. That's, that's the church I grew up in. The, the pastor had a sign out in front of it. Like next to the handicapped spots was the pastor's sign that says, reserved for the pastor. Okay, just so you know, I think the pastor should be the one who parks three blocks down if there's no room in the parking lot. Uh, because it, and, and not because, you know, he's not worthy of a good spot, but because he should constantly be smashing into his head, I'm not here for me. I'm not here to lead so that I get the shine, so that I'm, you know, uh, getting likes on Facebook or whatever. <laughs> I'm here for thee, for you, not me. If you're a leader, that's your role. If you're a boss, if you own your business, if you're a supervisor, if you're a father, if you're a mother, if you're an older brother, an older sister, if you're a leader anywhere, your mission as a follower of Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, is to serve those that follow you. So we can't talk about leadership without talking about the Bible's concept of it. It's a servant leadership. We can't talk about leadership without us talking about followers. If, you're, if you think you're a leader and nobody's following you, you're del delusional and, and you're just out for a walk. Like if you, if you, come on, anybody ever been in that situation? Let's get them. And then it's just you, you know. You're not a leader at that moment. You might think, I'm out in front. I've got great ideas. I'm heading in a direction. But if no one's following you, you're not leading anyone. We're going to go on to what it says here in 1 Timothy. I'm going to try to understand uh, what it is to be a leader. Before we do that, let's answer this question. Why is it so important for, uh, that leaders are follow-worthy? Why, why is that so important? A couple axioms that I've heard growing up uh, around leadership these last 26 years of ministry. One's this. Everything rises and falls with leadership. When I said earlier that leadership is life, it's true. Go to successful corporations, successful places of business, successful churches, successful life groups, successful areas of, of servant ministry at churches, if something's working, there's a good leader somewhere. And it might not be the lead leader. Anybody ever been in that organization? I pray it's not this one. But I, I would be a fool to assert to you that uh, if, if Bay Life has any kind of success as a church, it's all on me. It, it's not even close to being all on me. There are, we are surrounded by great leaders on our staff and our elder board amongst our, our lay leaders who serve in positions around here. We are what we are because there's great leaders all over the place around here. And if you've ever been a part of anything that's successful, like a successful sports team, 
Listen, there's, there's all the components that need to go into success. You've got talents and abilities and, and, and you know, smarts. But if there's a lousy leader in place, they can just ruin that. I've been on plenty of teams at Underachieved, and it wasn't because we didn't have all the pieces. It's because we just weren't led well. Conversely, if you've been on those teams that haven't achieved, in those businesses that you just feel like you're banging your head against a rock every day you go to work, it's probably because somewhere up the chain, someone's blowing it. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Another way to say that in the Alaskan world is that the rate of the leader determines the pace of the pack. The rate of the leader determines the pace of the pack. You put a bunch of dogs together, you tie them all to one leash, essentially, hook them up to a sled. That's how you get around up there in the snow, at least how you used to before motors and stuff, you know, kind of advanced things along the way. Uh, but you would have this, this, these couples of dogs, these, these tandems of dogs, and then at the front, I still do when you're doing like the Iditarod, you got this one lead dog, the alpha dog. And when, when, when the, the guy on the sled says, mush, that lead dog knows to get up and start running. When he says, stop, that lead dog uh, plants his paws in the snow and everybody runs into him. Well, how, however fast that lead dog's going, that's as fast as that sled's going to go. The other dogs can't go past them. Uh, pray for your pastors. Pray for your leaders. From our government, the White House all the way down, pray that God would uh, spread his grace to those in leadership over you because ultimately, if this axiom is true, and I believe it is, nothing grows past its leaders. Nothing grows past its leaders. The leader has to be moving in a trajectory so that all who are following can follow in that path. Finally, th th this is something, because we're going to talk about this, this uh, Greek word episkopos today, the overseers. Uh, I, I want to make sure I'm not just limiting, though, to, to the pastors and elders here in our church, because that's what can happen sometimes. You read the Bible and you're like, oh, that's not for me. That's just for those guys or the, the, those ladies or the, that team. It's just for, th this is not, okay, let's not do that today. Is everybody with me? We're all going to learn today because here's the deal. Everybody is somebody's leader. Why is it so important that we understand why, you know, the follow worthy is, is such a huge deal? It, it's because everybody's somebody's leader. You're, you're somebody's leader. Anybody here uh, sired children? Anybody, anybody got kids? Who's still got kids in the house? You know what your number one uh, goal in that kid's life is to be a good leader. To lead them. That's what the Bible says. Raise your children up in the ways that they should go. Lead them well. And so you may not hold a position of power at work or here at our church or whatever you perceive those things to be, but at least in your home, you are the presidente, you know, uh, the chief, the one responsible for the development of those children. You're a leader. Even when the kids, who's got kids, kids out of the house? Yeah. Uh, testify, all of us olders, has it gotten easier? <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I feel the same way. I felt like, good, I got him to the finish line, and it turned out to be another starting line because there's this whole adult life that they've got to navigate. Sorry, all you, but, uh, you know, younger parents who are like, good, I just got to get to 18. No, it just starts. It just starts again. <laughs> and you've got this whole new series of problems, and you, you don't have the advantage of being larger than them anymore. They're, they're big people now, and they can make their own choices. But in parenting... In leading in your relationship with your husband or your wife, and in, in, in your workplaces, at your schools. 
I mean, just because you don't hold the title of pastor or elder in the church doesn't mean that these verses aren't speaking to you. You're a leader of somebody, and if you're leading somebody, lead like this. Do it well. And honor God with that follow. You know, people are always watching you. Now, you may be leading people that you don't even know you're leading right now. Like, if people know that you're a Christian at work, now they may not, like, come up to you and say, okay, just so you know, I'm watching you. I'm looking to see what the Jesus thing is all about through you in the, in the club that you're in or in the sports that your kids are involved in. If anybody knows that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, they're watching you, and they're deciding whether you're follow-worthy. Eyes, some of you are like, wow, this is kind of creepy, Mark. You're freaking me out. But that's just how the world works. They watch your Facebook posts, and they decide whether or not Christians are crazy. They watch you in, in the environments that you're in. I'm always uh, taken aback when I meet somebody out in the public who knows me as Pastor Mark, and I don't know who they are right away. Usually, I, I get to roll through my Rolodex. It's a very old statement, but I get to roll through the database, and I, and I can sort out who's related to who, and uh, I got you now. I, you know, I, I get there. But they immediately recognize me. And you know what I think when, they, when I say, hey, Pastor Mark? My first thoughts are, okay, what have I been doing in these past few moments? And how long have they been standing there? Because I'm aware that even if I don't mean to or want to or know that I'm leading, I'm leading. So all of us should seek to be follow-worthy. I'd like to introduce you to my friend. Everybody's been wondering who he is. Last night, he, last night uh, we, po- we, we thought we were going to put him right here, and I got done praying last night, and I turned around, I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't ready for him to be right behind me. So we've moved him over here, but everybody say hi to Ed the Elder. This is Ed the Elder. Say hi. hi yeah, he's here this morning to help us understand leadership just a little bit better. So let's get started with Ed and with this whole understanding of being a follow-worthy leader. Uh, let's read together in the, in the text. The first thing we're going to learn from Timothy, or from Paul, as he writes to Timothy, is that being follower-worthy is a good thing. Being a leader is a good thing. He says as much right here in the verse, first verse. He says, this is saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. That word noble there is the Greek word kalos. It means beautiful, like calligraphy. It's a beautiful thing for people to lead. It's beautiful because this is how God runs stuff. Things rise and fall in leadership. If you ever been a part of something that wasn't led well, you didn't have a good time. It wasn't a beautiful thing that you were involved with uh, in that thing that wasn't led well. But if you go to something that is like led perfectly, you know, everybody's paid attention to their part and done it well, you know, I expect that fully at Fall Fest tonight. There'll be stuff that's crazy because there's a bunch of people here and it's crazy, but, but we just have this incredible uh, servant team and lead team and staff team. It just, we do stuff here well. And it's fun to us, for us to be at things because it's done well. I've been at churches where they haven't done stuff well. That's no fun. Jesus says, or Jesus says, Paul says, listen, leading's great because leading makes stuff beautiful. Tim, stay there as a pastor. You may not feel successful, but listen, you leading in that church is producing a beautiful thing. He says, uh, the office of overseer, let's just talk about some of the words in the Bible that describe the leadership of the church. This first one is episkopos. Everybody say episkopos. When you hear episkopos, what do you think? Episcopal. Who grew up episcopal? Anybody grew up episcopal? If you don't know what episcopal is, it's a denomination, a Protestant denomination, and it actually has as its 
center, this idea of overseers. Actually, another way to translate this word overseer is bishop. So if you've ever heard of bishops in a religion, uh, the Greek word for it is episkopos. Uh, there's another Greek word uh, that is used in t- uh, Titus, the letter that Paul wrote to his friend Titus about leaders in the church. It's presbuteros. Everybody say presbuteros. It's fun to say Greek words, isn't it? Say gyro. Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's that meat thing. All right. Uh, presbuteros. What do you think of when I say presbuteros? It's a Presbyterian church, okay? So, so all these words kind of work their ways uh, into our, our faith history and, and vernacular. Uh, but they all basically point to one thing. Uh, the, uh, episkopos means watcher. Presbyteros means older. And that's where we get this word elder that you hear uh, being thrown around as, as far as the leadership of the church. Uh, he is certainly talking specifically about the leaders in the church, but he's giving us what it is to be follow-worthy as leaders everywhere. Uh, being follow-worthy, then, is a good thing. Being follow-worthy, secondly, is, is mostly about character. It's mostly about character. It's the stuff that no one sees uh, uh, behind the scenes that makes you the leader that you are. Like you guys, you guys see me here on Sundays and under the lights and I yell at you for, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, something, whatever. And, uh, and that's what you see. Uh, we're not going to do this, but I, th- I think it might be a good exercise for pastors to have cameras in their house. Every pastor should be a reality show because then, <laughs> no, that's a horrible idea. Don't, I can't believe I just said that. But, but listen, I, I am the leader I am because I, of, of who I am as a leader everywhere else. In fact, if, if my leadership in the, in the places you don't see doesn't line up with my leadership in the places that you do see, we're heading for a shipwreck. This ain't going to work out. The, the, the greatest gift that I think, I, one of the greatest gifts I can give to you as a leader is my authenticity. I just want to be me wherever I am. I pray that's what you think when you see me out in the world, we hang out and do whatever Who I am here is who I am there, 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 and there. It's mostly character, the unseen stuff that makes us the leaders, the the, the worthy, follow-worthy leaders that we are. So he's going to go through. He's going to say here in verse 2, he says, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. That's what that means. He must have character. He must be inscrutable, innocent. He must be someone who, no matter where you go and see him in life, he can't be criticized. There's nothing that he does that would disqualify him from leading. Uh, the first place he brings it up is in his marriage. Uh, an overseer uh, must be above reproach. A husband of one wife. Here's Eddie's wedding ring. It's made out of beautiful electrical tape or something. But it's a symbol uh, of, of his commitment to his marital relationship. Isn't it interesting that the first thing on the list is marriage? Isn't that interesting? Could have started with anything. Starts with marriage. Why? Well, probably because Paul says to Tim, "Hey Tim, let's not trust anybody with the bride of Christ if they're not honorable to the bride that they have here on earth." You know, so much can be learned about you from your uh, your marriages. Wives with your husbands, husband with your wives. Uh, how you treat each other is going to bleed into how you parent. It's going to bleed into how you lead in other places. This husband and one wife uh, could mean a lot of different things in the context. It could mean that uh, unmarried men uh, are, are not, are not, are not, aren't able to be elders. I don't think that's what it means. Polygamists, that could certainly be something that was contextual back then, that people had many wives uh, coming from the, uh, the religions of their day, the pagan religions, the worship of Diana. Uh, so maybe that was one of the, the limiters. Uh, in our culture, the, the divorce and remarriage thing, 
has been a marker uh, for elder, uh, elder level leadership. Uh, being widowed and remarried, I don't think that's something. Certainly being maritally unfaithful. Uh, like if your pastor has a, has a wife and a girlfriend, could you please stop going to their church? Because something's wrong. And, and listen, don't ever be a part of a church uh, where on a continual basis you sense that things aren't right and that leadership's marriage. Because eventually, if things aren't right at home, if things can't be sorted out at home, things will eventually not be right in the leadership of that shepherd. I want to say this in front of everybody. My marriage matters more to me than our church. And I don't mean to say that my marriage matters more to me than God. I was very careful how I phrased that. It's always God first and then Eleanor. But if we ever kind of hit the rocks and by God's grace we haven't, please keep praying, okay? But if anything ever goes awry between me and Eleanor, I'm not your pastor anymore because my marriage matters more to me than my stage. And I say that because you should take heart in that. You should hopefully have peace in that because that's what the scripture requires. That a man or a woman in leadership have their marital relationship as a priority. Second thing is mentality. It goes on and it says that they should be a husband and one wife. They should be uh, sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. That means if you're a leader, you live with wisdom in your head. You understand that leadership is done first between your ears. You think well. Uh, you're you're self-controlled. You, uh, good leaders are able to keep their emotions in check. They don't say what they feel all the time. Anybody been a part of that organization where the, the leader just kind of flies off the handle at the first sign of trouble? The leader comes in and poo-poos whatever's going on in the organization, uh, you know, nitpicks everybody and says whatever comes to their mind. That's a joyous place to go to work, isn't it? No, leaders need to understand that there's a, a time and a place for everything. I'm not saying that they never say the hard things. In fact, leaders are willing to say the hard things, but they say them well. They craft them in such a way that they can be heard and understood, but there's still relationship at the end. They're respectable. Sober mind, let me just go through those words. Sober mind means not given to, given to extremes. Self-controlled means that they have control in their thoughts and in their deeds. They're respectable. That means they're appropriate. I'm not talking, you know, uh, decorum. I mean, that's all fine and good in a certain place, but they understand in each situation they find themselves in, here's the best way for me to act, say, do, whatever. And they choose that best because they've got things together up here. They're submitted to their God and they're seeking him in their wisdom. I've watched great leaders uh, exercise uh, this whole mentality control, this wisdom in, in tough situations. One of the toughest ones uh, was at the lost baggage desk at the airport. Anybody been there? Oh, that's, that's, that's not a happy place for anybody because people have been traveling all day and they finally get to their destination. They just want their bags and they want to go home. Uh, but like in this one situation, I was uh, flying into Tampa. There was a huge electrical storm. Our flight had to be delayed. We circled the Tampa airport for like an hour before we eventually landed because all the, all the flights landed at once. Everybody was just overburdened. Couldn't even go out. There's like a rule at Tampa airport. You can't go out if there's, there's lightning 
Uh, it's not safe for the baggage handlers to go out there. So we stood at the, at the carousels for an hour before anything even moved. And then because there had been all kinds of weather and stuff like that, some people had missed their flights. I was, uh, you know, one of those who was fortunate to get uh, onto a plane, but my bag got left in Chicago or wherever I was, and it just wasn't going to show up in Tampa that day. So it was me and 40 other happy travelers uh, that queued up there at the, uh, the lost baggage uh, little, you know, cave that they have there next to the, to the, uh, the, the carousels. And I watched uh, from the back of my line as, as one traveler after another just berated this poor woman wearing, you know, her vest and name tag and, and just unleashed their entire, you know, life's woes took everything that was going on in their marriages and their parenting and their job, just, just, just went bonkers on this woman. And I watched as she deftly deflected and, and, and not in such a way that she dismissed, but she just, she dealt with, has anybody been in that situation where you got good customer service? Like I wasn't even to the front of the line like, and I'm like, I like her. It was finally my turn and I just said, hey, listen, I've watched, you've had a hard day. Just get my bag to me whenever you can. Here's my name and my license, and I'll just talk to you later. Because I was so inspired by how she handled herself. And listen, that war or that ability to lead well started up here. Sure, she was trained well, but she was conditioned well. She was uh, experienced. Uh, being follow-worthy starts with us being wise. Being follow-worthy in ministry especially requires certain uh, abilities. Let's go through those as they're listed here. Being follow-worthy in ministry requires certain abilities Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband and wife, they need to be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. They need to be hospitable. Let's talk about that. Ed's going to go grill some burgers here. There we go. Hopefully that'll stay. Now, because he likes having people over his house. Like I said, most of what you see in the qualifications of elders are the behind-the-scenes deals. And the thing that make leaders good leaders is that they, they lead well in what I call the cracks, the places where uh, no one's watching, no one's thinking, there's, there's no one applauding their efforts, but still they lead well, like in building relationships. If you're a leader, uh, it's not enough for you just to have to say so and to, and to you know, weigh in and levy your power every once in a while. It's so important that as you lead in your life groups or in ministry with our students or kids, as you lead in, uh, in your families, in your homes, that you lead through relationship. That you understand that um, my say-so certainly may be my say-so as the authority in this situation, but it'll be a more effective say-so if the person that I'm having the say-so over loves me, trusts me, knows me. It'll just work better. I've had coaches, I would have run through a wall for that guy. Not because, uh, you know, I thought he was the smartest guy in the world, but because he took the time. He, he worked with me after practice. He encouraged me. He spoke to me in ways uh, that made me a better player. And because he had earned that trust in me, I'd do anything. Sit on the bench, not shoot. That was the hardest one. But I would have done anything because he had taken the time to build relationships. This is one of the things you need to pray for in your pastor. I am alone prone. Is anybody else alone prone? Like, I like to be alone. The longer I do things in a... In a in, in my leadership role with, with people, and especially as I age, the more I, I could see myself going all curmudgeon as an older man. Is anybody, anybody with me on that? Uh, I like eating lunch by myself. I like going to movies by myself. I know I'm weird. But here's the deal. Uh, I have so many hours 
And in my responsibilities as your leader, I need to do my very best to get to know as many of you as possible, not so that I, that I can't get to know all of you. Can we all accept that? Hugs? Can we give some hugs? Give me some hugs. Let's have some. There we go. But I, as much as I can, I need to be available to our people. In fact, that's why I wasn't here last weekend. Some of the guys at the retreat were like, so why'd you come this year? Like they thought maybe I was, I don't know, scoping it out, making sure nothing was going. I don't know what they were thinking. But honestly, I went on the men's retreat this year because I don't know the men well enough. Uh, and, and spending 48 hours uh, with guys in, a, in real time and on a, you know, elongated basis, you get to know people better than five minutes in the corner. Are you with me? The same thing with you. Uh, some of you lead your kids, but you don't know them. Because the only time you interact is to yell at them. You need to know your families. Be hospitable. Be relational. You also need to, if you're going to lead well, know the word. We talk about that around here all the time. But it says there that the, the, the overseer, the episkopos, and leaders in general need to be hospitable. Thank God for duct tape. And they need to be able to teach. You know, t- leaders are teachers. Leaders are teachers. Good ones are teachers. They don't just tell you what you have to do. They explain to you, if they can, why you have to do it, and they show you how you need to do it. Those are the best leaders, the ones who take the time to show you. If it's, if it's God's word, listen, it's not just on me to teach you God's word on Sunday mornings. It's on me to show you how to live God's word by how I live my life, to spend extra time with you if it's in, in counseling uh, sessions or stuff like that, to help you apply the word of God. It's not just saying it, it's living it, it's showing it so that people can go and do it. I had so many great teachers in my development as an episkopos, as an overseer. Uh, Jack was my first youth pastor. He gave me my first job. He mentored me through the whole first four years of my career uh, where I you know, came out of Bible school knowing nothing about you know, church politics and all those different things. He taught me how to deal in, in, a, in, a, in a church setting to, to where, you know, I can hang out with you guys today. I had an elder uh, at my Dallas church. His name was Bob Grabo. He was about 6'5 and went about 290. And I had a really angry parent come in one day and want to talk to me. And I said, Bob, would you help? <laughs> he was kind of my bouncer. Yeah, but he came in, and, and, and I was starting to handle the, you know, the dis- discrepancy of the disagreement. And, and about two sentences in, this guy started yelling at me in front of Bob. And Bob, very calmly but very clearly explained to this man that's not how this is going to work and he took the meeting over and I watched a seasoned leader Christian leader handle someone in a situation with grace and mercy and love but with clarity and if I've been able to do that I draw that line back to Bob guys like Pete Briscoe who taught me to preach ladies like my mom who gave me my heart for Jesus um, as I grew up in her home. Uh, Leaders teach. You've been taught, I pray, by good leaders. Be someone as a leader who teaches and encourages others in the things that they have going on. Oh, I forgot my slum clip. The next one is money. Or no, it's not. It's the management itself. (laughs) Sorry. Can you go back a slide? I'm ahead of myself. Being followerly boils down to making right choices. It goes, it goes down to be, uh, being a good manager of self. Look what it says here in verse 3. It says, don't be a drunkard. Uh, don't be violent, but be gentle. Don't be quarrelsome. Uh, these are all things that basically come down to passions and, and choices in passions, the things that we choose to care about. 
So we're going to put care over the heart of Ed here. Ed cares. Ed cares. He cares not just about his people, that's the hospitality part, but he cares to, to choose right things in his life so that those right things feed his leadership and steer him in his leadership. He's, uh, he's not willing uh, to, to come to things violently. He chooses to be gentle. He's not constantly being quarrelsome and, and, and poking and prodding and trying to create strife. I've been in uh, leadership environments where that was the leadership uh, uh, choice. It was to kind of pit the, uh, the followers against each other. And in the mindset of this particular leader, that's what was going to get the best out of his team, was to have them almost competing with each other. But the strife that that bred was evident uh, on the team. Uh, not a drunkard. Uh, apparently, there's there's a lot of booze in, in Ephesus. This made the list. Like, uh, and it comes again back from their pagan rituals and their religions. Uh, they, they did a lot of wine drinking in the Temple of Diana uh, as part of the, their religion. So uh, people were coming to this new church, and they're like, "Oh, it must be like the old church." And so I don't know. They had their flasks. I don't know. They were sitting there listening to Timothy preach, and they're like, "Good point," you know. And they they hit you know. I'm so grateful that in the modern church, uh, drunkenness isn't a problem anymore, and that, uh, you know, there's men and women in here who don't, pro you know, that struggle with, you know, knowing where to draw the line. That's sarcasm. I hope you're picking that up. Uh, I, I want us to understand in our freedom, uh, we should not be abusive, and that we should not um, say, you know what, just because uh, I got drunk Friday, God will forgive me Saturday, I'll go to church Sunday, boom, we're done, another weekend. Uh, you, you do things, as a drinker, I, I used to drink uh, heavily in college. Um, I, those were not my best moments. I did many things as a drunk that I had to compensate for and come back and clean up uh, as a sober guy. Anybody been with me on, on that one? Hope not, but uh, if you have, you know what I mean. So, without belaboring, uh, please don't abuse the freedoms that we have. Uh, we're not teetotalers around here, but we certainly shouldn't be controlled by anything except the Holy Spirit. Uh, money. It says that we're not supposed to be a lover of money. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and a leader, uh, you shouldn't let your things. Imagine me taking my Slim Clip, which will be here next service, but I'm taking it out of my pocket and I'm putting it into Ed's. Isn't that a great illustration of money? Isn't that a great one? Um, you, you shouldn't be owned by the things that you own. We talk about this all the time around here, but you don't lead for your gain is in essence what Paul is saying to Tim. Hey, don't, don't, don't bring guys onto the Episcopos that are just about them and what they can get out of it. Make sure that you have leaders who are in it for the followers, servant leaders. I uh, was speaking at uh, a conference in uh, Chicago, Illinois, Wheaton College uh, as a youth pastor uh, right before I, I decided to come in and be the pastor here at Bay Life. It was actually the week before I candidated. I spoke at this conference uh, the week during, and then came here on the weekend and, and did my tryout speech, my tryout talk. I don't know what it was, but anyway. And, and then you guys said yes, and I came and hung out. So that, it, but that was the last thing that happened right before I came to Bay Life. And uh, it was one of my uh, favorite and least favorite moments in ministry. Here's why. I've been working as a youth pastor my whole career, nine years, uh, to, to be in positions where hopefully God would use me in my speaking, uh, you know, to, to, to speak to lots of kids. And so I, I got this gig. It was like 12, uh, 1,200 kids at a at a huge conference, and I was so honored to be able to do it. And I had negotiated, you know, there's a, a speaker's whatever fee or uh, payment, and we had talked about what it was going to be, and I, I was fine with it. 
And then I got there the, the day it was time to start speaking, and they pay you before the speaking even starts. They pay you the day that you get there. How cool is that? Anybody else got a job like that? No, so I, I, I hadn't even spoken. I guess they thought I was there. I wasn't going to leave. But handed me my check. It was, it was $300 less than what we had talked about. 300 bucks. It's 300 bucks, okay? Back then it was more, uh, but it was 300 bucks. And I, I didn't realize that this was going to be a moment for me, but it was a moment for me. And without thinking, I just looked at the check, and I handed it back to, because I could see that you had one of those little windows with a number in it, you know what I'm saying? You could see it. I just handed it back to the guy. I said, oh, man, we agreed on X number of dollars. Um, you know, I don't know what happened here, but maybe, you know, and, and I handed it back to the, the leader of this whole conference, and immediately I had this check in my spirit. Anybody ever been there? You're like, because uh, without thinking, I had given this guy the impression that the only reason I was here was to make the full amount of what I had been promised, and if I wasn't promised that, and the green M&Ms in the, you know, uh, in, the, in the waiting area, you know, I just wasn't going to perform, and uh, I, I went from being this this heartfelt and passionate lover of students and Jesus to being this diva, even though that was not my intent. And it was years later that, his name's Eric, it was years later that I met Eric uh, at another conference, and I just went up to him and I just confessed to him, and he said, hey man, listen, I don't know how this set with you, but it just wounded me, it bruised my spirit. That whole week that I was preaching, that I had said the things and, and given the impression, and he was gracious, and he said, oh no, that, was, that wasn't what I felt at all but it had, been, it, had, it had registered with me. Why? Because even though I, I hadn't gone into this being like, I'm going to get mine, I had let that become something that it didn't need to be. Leadership isn't about the leader. Leadership is about the followers. Leadership is about our ultimate leader, honoring God with those that he gives us to lead. Let's talk about minions, because Paul does. Here you go. I know it's not very good. It's all I can think of. That's a baby. It says there in verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Again, he goes to the home. Starts with the marriage, but now he's going to go to the whole parenting thing. And it's almost as if Paul is saying to Tim, hey, Tim, listen, if the dude won't bother with his own kids, don't trust him with God's. Just don't, just don't bother. Because the qualities or the qualifications of leadership are done in the unseen things. And if, and if someone is all about his spotlight but not about his children, well, let's not give him the spotlight. Some of you might think, well, uh, what, what about kids who rebel? Uh, I don't believe, and I, now I am someone who has, has a kid who's kind of off the rails a little bit, I don't believe that this ever says that if your kids uh, you know, aren't in ministry too or if your kids you know, uh, don't memorize the Bible by 14 or whatever, that, that you're disqualified from being a leader. I think it just goes to you do what you can to lead your children. And as long as you've honored God in your efforts to raise up a child in the way that he should go, the kid gets, has anybody's kid made some choices? Kids get to choose. So I don't think it's the end result that God's talking about here through Paul. He's saying, hey, listen, man, as long as that father, that mother, that leader is doing everything that they can in parenting their kids to raise them up in the way that they should go, then that's what qualifies them for leadership. Uh, kids, I, I was one of those kids. My mom was here this weekend. She had to fly back this morning, but I was preaching in front of her last night, and I saw her white hair bob up and down on this one uh, because I was one of those kids. My senior year of high school, completely lost my mind, left my house, 
did all the stuff that I preach from every once in a while. And uh, uh, I knew that it wasn't what I was supposed to do because my parents had done a great job of letting me know how I was supposed to live. I just chose it not. I know there's no one in here who's ever done that. Uh, but that was me. So as, as leaders, we need to be making the effort to doing everything we can to raise up our, our families, our marriages, and our kids in the ways that would honor God. Maturity is, is, a, is the next thing. Uh, maturity, it basically says there, if you can read verse uh, 6 with me, it says, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up. Uh, that means uh, filled with smoke, uh, blowing hot air, however you want to call it. He may be puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Basically, this just goes into the seasoning. I went looking for a beard yesterday, but apparently it's Halloween and there's no beards anywhere. So we're going to give it a, a nice white goatee there. Um, all this goes to is that uh, leadership improves with experience. You know, it, 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 I thought Eddie was gone there. Yeah, if we... Uh, if, if we're, if we're kind of moving into, into areas of leadership, I had a lady come up to me and talk to me last night. Says, is there any areas of, of, of leadership in the church that I wouldn't be qualified for? And I said, maybe. And she said, well, which ones? I said, well, there's some that, you know, you're already prepared for. But there'll be other things, whether it's teaching uh, or leading in a life group that, that you would need some training for and some seasoning in before we, you know, would want to put you in a position where you're leading uh, so that you could be as successful as God could make you successful. Um. This is basically going to, you know, improve in areas of leadership. Understand how you can improve and, and, and work towards being a better husband or wife, a better parent, a better life group leader, a better, you know, a want a small group leader. Get better at it. Go deeper in it. Don't stay where you are. You might get conceited and think you're something you're not and then be useless to your followers. And then finally, he says this in verse 7. He talks about marketability. I don't have anything to put on Ed for this. He says, moreover, verse 7, uh, a leader must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. What an interesting way to end this list. He goes on uh, and he talks about another office in the church called deacons. And uh, maybe you grew up in a church that that was the main leadership uh, you know, team in your church. There's different ways to call the same role, different things. Um, but deacons is basically a word that means servants. And it goes on, and there's the same qualification. Isn't it interesting? The same qualifications, pretty much, for leaders are the same qualifications for servants. It's like, you know, whether you're serving or leading, you're probably leading as you're serving, and you should be serving as you're leading, and so everybody do the same stuff. But the last thing in this list here for Episcopos is that this person, this leader, should be well thought of, not just inside the church, but outside the church as well, which takes me back to leading is everywhere you go. You never know who you're leading. You never know who's looking to you, who's following you. And so it's crucial that we are who we are wherever we go. I, I, I've met these compartmentalized you know, Christian leaders who in front of the flock, they are this one thing, and then when they get into their offices with their staff, they're someone completely different. They're unkind, they're cruel to their fellow leaders. I've met guys who can lead men's Bible studies or uh, ladies who lead women's Bible studies and, and talk a great game in those environments and then go home and just badger their spouses and belittle their children. Now they go into their workplaces 
And, and, and they, they live in such a way that, that no one would know that they were a Christian except that they know that they're Christians. That's just not how it should be. Bottom line, here's the deal. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And everybody in here is somebody's leader. So it matters how you and I conduct our lives because we're always leading somebody. Someone is always following us, looking to us, looking to us for an example. So may we live these purposeful leadership lives. May we understand God's hopes for us in our character and in our actions. And may we seek to conform to those forms that he describes here in 1 Timothy and other places in the scripture. Why? Because as we do, our marriages are going to be better. Our parenting and homes are going to be better. Our workplaces are going to change. Our church is going to grow and deepen, get stronger, be more successful because it's full of people who understand that Christian leaders, godly leaders, lead to serve. They're about their followers first. A church that does that, the world has yet to see the impact that it can have. I pray we're the one full of leaders that love the Lord and lead and serve as he calls them to. Let's pray. Hey God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word today and to, and to hear these things. And Lord, would you just show us and teach us what it is to be the best leaders that we can be uh, so that we can honor you with what you've given us in life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.